Hello, everyone, and welcome to Movie Go Around, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for New to Two, David Luzader. How are you? I'm good. I'm two minutes in the future, so you might hear me commenting on some things that we have yet to talk about in the show. Has the era of our lives changed in the last two minutes? Or are we going to have yes. to multiply this many times to figure that out? Yeah, we're going to have to have a lot of monitors facing monitors. No kidding. No kidding. Nicole Davis, how are you? On mute. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> totally not filling in the show doc at the totally last minute. Totally not none of us in any it. way filling in the show doc at the last minute. Podcasting. No, because future me told me that I needed to do that now so that we would have it when we actually needed mm. it. So. Yeah, and, and honestly, two minutes is the perfect amount of time to do that. <laughs> uh, so before we get into this, though, we are going to announce next week's movie, so you can go ahead and follow along with us. A reminder to the audience, Netflix Roulette, Primeflix Roulette, whatever you want to call it, we did retire that. We were getting too many um, unwatchable movies and not in like a fun <laughs> you did this to us way, in a wow, we have nothing to talk about kind of way. So we very much went ahead and changed it to, can we just talk about... And I don't know why I always have to say it in that voice, but I feel like I do. And it was quite literally, we took 10 movies, I believe, from each of us. We put them in a wheel. So there's still a randomized element, very similar to Netflix Roulette. But each of us have the opportunity, one in three chance, to get something that we badly want to talk about. It's great because we were able to add movies that don't fit anywhere within the other four categories. So really, hopefully, we're going to bring some very fun discussions to the table with these films now we did spin that wheel just now and we got a pick from david it's going to be 2002's pleasantville oh sorry 1998 oh yeah so the second time i've seen this movie and the second time a high school teacher has made me watch it so (laughs) looking forward to seeing it's about the symbolism brett it's about the symbolism i know (laughs) i'm looking forward to it i haven't seen it in a long time so pleasantville check that out for can we just talk about next week but this week was new to two that means neither david nor nicole had seen the film that we are watching today and our film it's a short film i guess we can get pedantic and talk about whether or not it's really a film it's 70 minutes long it's a novella of a film yeah yeah but it's called beyond the infinite two minutes a cafe owner discovers that the tv in his cafe suddenly shows images from the future but only two minutes in the future So my thought process for bringing this to you guys was very much that it's just a peculiar film I'd recently seen that has so much heart. It's filmed on an iPhone, and we'll get into that a little bit. And it's something that I, I, I originally thought was filmed during lockdown, and that's how a lot of people have talked about it. But in reality, they actually filmed it right before lockdown, and then it came out in the first couple of months of the COVID pandemic. So they hadn't yet experienced covid when this was being filmed, but it still kind of feels like it because it's very much like a home project of a filmmaker named um, Juta Yamaguchi. And he's just so talented. I can't wait to see what he does in the future because of this movie. Uh, So I really wanted to bring it to you guys because I just think it's very interesting and worth talking about and indicative of hopefully some cool talent to come down the road. So uh, beyond the infinite two minutes. Okay, I do want to clarify because I don't, this summary is not actually correct. The cafe owner lives in an apartment above the cafe. 
and Mm -hmm. his monitor shows him imagery from two minutes in the future, whereas the monitor that's down in the cafe shows two minutes in the past. And both have inexplicably long cables. Yes, they sure do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The discourse around this movie spends too much time talking about inexplicably long cables. And yes, there are are moments of this movie where you have to suspend your disbelief, including uh, 70 to 100 foot long monitor cables that you can just walk around your entire apartment complex with. Yeah. Go up and down stairways without them getting caught on anything. <laughs> right. And and I read this interview with the director where he talks about, you know, how they, they sketched out this movie originally and wanted to use the building because it had this really interesting dynamic of them constantly going up and down and using this like architecture as a narrative element. And and I love that part of it too, because the other thing I should say before we really get into it is that it just takes place in one place. You know, it, it all happens within this building. I don't think there's, there's anything that happens outside of it. They leave the building and come back, but then while they're gone, the events are focused on people who are still in the building. So you only get the vignette of the building, nothing else. It- I really like I would have believed that this would have been a lockdown project like if this right? was some guy was sitting in his apartment in Japan which are not very big like you no. think like apartments are small here in America like apartments in Japan are tiny uh and are considered like nice and I would have thought like some guy just sitting in there you know a few weeks and it's just like what if I could see the future in my monitor what if I was talking to myself <laughs> in there you know <laughs> I totally would have believed that Right. And, and it's funny because, because this has like a cult following on Twitter. Like if you search this movie's name on Twitter, you're going to see so many people recommending it to each other. And that's originally how I found it was that, you know, I can't remember quite who, but someone that I respect that, you know, likes movies who I followed at some point recommended it. And then a bunch of people dogpiled on top of that and recommended it as well. Then you've gone Rotten Tomatoes and everyone's raving about it there. So like, um, it's interesting. And funnily enough, uh, this director, he's 35. He has yet to do anything else. But I hope he now gets money to do things after this. This entire movie cost twenty thousand, and the only way I could think of it costing twenty thousand is if he had to pay people, because there's oh, nothing yeah. in the movie that would cost money. <laughs> there's a crew. I mean, they show the the scenes at the end. You know, you see the people. I mean, there's yeah. like you know, fifteen people worked on this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm just ballparking a figure based on like the number. So I'm sure there's more that we didn't even see on that scene. But yeah, there are people who right. were around. There are, there are, but it's a pretty tight, um, and he, he edited it himself, uh, he filmed it all himself on an iPhone, so I guess we'll talk about that first. Now, that would have been the biggest challenge for this movie, I would think, would be the editing. Well, yeah. and the pre-production figuring out how everything intersects and interconnects. Oh, yeah, like, if some of the doodles and stuff they had, like, I don't <laughs> read Japanese, but I even understood, like, there's a lot of arrows pointing to things <laughs> in this script. Oh, for sure. And it's filmed with an iPhone, which it's one of those things where like you hear about movies filmed with iPhones all the time. And and I've seen a couple of them and you really have to have a strong handle over your story and your narrative to to get over the hurdle of filming with an iPhone. Because like it, it, the reality of it is like I'm putting this up on my, you know, 60-inch TV in the living room and and like you can tell. <laughs> like it's you know it's it's a little choppy at times. The the color grading's not great he's using what he can but at the same time wow (laughs) can you push can you push that far and is that a testament to you are never you know you are never too hindered to be creative you could use the device that you are using for everything else to make a cool movie 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can use the world's worst equipment and come up with a film that still has artistic merit as well as tremendous story potential. Yeah, it, it's Definitely. all about the heart. Clerks looks like hell. But. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> El Mariachi, remember that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. uh, yeah. Now that I think about it, this is very much in that vein. And I hope that this guy ends up being some, you know, amazing director that we can all, you know, be cool having talked about this back in 2022 uh, when he's, you know, winning Academy Awards. Who knows? And, and I will say I watched part of this. I had to watch part of it on my phone because I even at 110 minutes, I could not find a solid block <laughs> to be able to watch all of this. So I was watching part of it on my phone while I was sitting in my chair uh, with my dog this morning. And on the phone, it looks like it looks good. You know? Yeah. I, I, when I had it, when I then put it on my TV, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can see see where it's a little more rough around the edges. It also, it, because the, the characters are really endearing, and I want to talk about that too, because I just I just love the people in this movie, uh, I'm very quick to forgive if it's not HD in the way I would expect my movies to be. Uh, and similarly, you know, I, I think the camera work done on an iPhone is at least for an independent filmmaker on a micro budget, like a micro micro budget, probably made some things easier. Like he's moving through very tight stairwells in these long single shots. And I imagine there were many times where he was holding a phone ostensibly over his head to get around a corner or something like that. And it doesn't follow people quite as neatly as you would have something on like a steady cam or something like that or a crane or a dolly. Uh, but it works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the one take gimmick, let's, let's actually talk about that first. Uh, the movie is one take quote unquote. I mean, there's a couple quote unquote. sly cuts in there, but it is hey. largely one take. Sly. I mean, whenever it gets to a door and then like goes up to the right. door, it's like, yeah. yep, there's an edit. There's an edit yep. point. But does it pretty well. I will say, and it works really well for the story. Normally, the one take thing, like, that's a selling point for the movie of, like, we shot it all in one take. Right. <laughs> and it's like, that's to impress you more than the fact of our that our story will or anything like that. This, it, like, really works. It does work for the whole bit that they're doing, that they're talking to themselves you know, a couple minutes in the future and in the past. Yeah, yeah. it definitely, it, it does two things, I think. it Number one, it adds a sense of intimacy because it's like you're always there with them the whole time. So you feel like you're privy to all the conversations that are going on and you're learning mm -hmm. things at the same speed as everybody else is. You know, they don't have knowledge that you don't have, mm -hmm. except, of course, for the people in the future. But then you'll <sighs> find that out in two minutes. So it's, it's almost the same. <laughs> And the other thing it does is it adds a sense of propulsion. You know, this yeah. film is very short, but it feels like you can barely catch your breath at any point because it's just going, going, going. And that's that's part of the whole uh, – it's not 100% a time loop exactly because there's this continuous forward progression. It's like a staircase and, like, mm -hmm. these people are – always two stairs ahead of the you know their the past selves kind of thing but they're always moving up together at the same rate but it does sort of add a a sense of um forward motion continuous yeah. forward motion mm -hmm. to it and i appreciated they played with that and they talked about 
we have to do this because we've already seen it happen because, you know, you watch them mm-hmm. do right. kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And it, it kind of gets the, it doesn't get to a point to me where it's like, okay, do something different, but I'm glad they finally acknowledged of like, wait, why are we just doing what we've seen? And some characters being like, because we saw it happen. Like we need to make sure that it happens mm-hmm. because it's, it, it's already what's going on. And they like have that, you know, you know, this is, uh, this is like friends talking about time travel, in a, in an actual movie, <laughs> right. uh, like kind of putting it together, but not not like as obnoxious as taking it super seriously. It's like, what if we could see a little bit into the future? Right. It's just nice for them to acknowledge of like, why why are we doing this? Because we have to, because we've already seen it, and we don't know what's going to happen if we don't, and that's weird and scary. Yeah, right, there's right. the one guy with the uh, who's the guy with the hat, Tanabe. Um, says you know i'm i'm scared of creating a paradox what happens if we do that i don't want to do that right i want to make sure i do it exactly the way that we saw it so exactly and i think that you know gosh i don't mind having to rewatch certain scenes because again i do find the char- the characters very charming and there is enough forward propulsion in that in that writing that i don't mind them going back and reacting something I just saw on the opposite side of the monitor. And it does that a lot. It does it less toward the end of the movie because at that point it would just get too convoluted. But uh, for the first half hour or so, there is a lot of, we do this, we walk to the other thing and we see the same thing back at us. Right. But I think they play with that and move it beyond that enough where it starts to get really fun and interesting. They don't linger in that too long, especially because maybe about 45 minutes into this, uh, the gangsters show up. <laughs> the gangsters. Uh, and, <laughs> gangsters. Oh, my God. Okay, so let's let's actually talk about the gangsters. They live on the fifth floor, and uh, they have a knife, and, and one of them actually does have a gun, so that's super gangstery, I guess. Um, question, though. How, how does anyone find the VCR? Because if you only ever, if you're only ever two minutes in the future, and we can only stack this up like 10 or 15 times at some point, they're really only getting about 15 minutes to a half hour at the very most glimpse into the future at any point in this movie. Yet they somehow are able to find that someone associated with the gangsters had hid money in an old VHS player underneath a bridge. And, and I still don't, second time seeing this, I still don't quite know where that revelation comes from. Be- because the future them knew about it. But how did the future them know about it? Right. Because the future them knew about it. <laughs> That's the- We're doing what this movie doesn't want us to do. Yeah, yeah. there's there's that instance, yeah. and there's just the the initial instance that's a, a paradoxical problem where the monitor just turns on in Cato's apartment and future him starts talking to him. It, and, it flickers, if you notice. It flickers. Yeah, I did. He, I did yeah. see it flicker mm-hmm. while he was searching for his guitar pick. And it's just how <sighs> it's a chicken and egg problem kind right, of thing, right? You know, like how did future him decide to start talking to past him, mm-hmm. and what if past him hadn't gone downstairs? You know, and well, then those... and decided to speak to himself and say the exact thing that he had heard before. It's like the inciting point is lost in here you don't know exactly what starts the chain yeah yeah i kind of got that i was like why is kate because then kato later on is like i hate this 
Mm-hmm. Don't want anything to do with it. And I get this like initial curiosity behind it, and I don't want to like spend too much time picking at the 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 edges of it. But I, I do get that. Like I felt a little bit of like, how? Why are you doing it? Like, why, how are you saying the exact thing that you're saying? Yeah, Cato's just so begrudgedly along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, later on, especially he's just like, I don't want to do it. And they're like, you have to. He's like, fine. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's so like just fine like the entire movie <laughs> you know yeah. they're like hey you got to go ask the girl out i don't want to you really should fine right. like everything including rescuing her from uh, armed mobsters is just such a chore <laughs> like, yeah although that does create a that creates a great point of tension in the movie having this mechanic does create a tension because you're like when are they going to get to the point where they're telling past self What's going on? You know, when do we see them mm-hmm. doing in real time what we saw previously on a monitor? Like, especially when he tells Mayumi, is it Mayumi? Megumi. Megumi. That he's going to come Save rescue her. her because it's like it passed the point where I thought it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then it only happens like as he's going upstairs to confront the gangsters. He has to put the monitor down for a second to tell her, don't worry, you know, I'm going to come rescue you. And it's my favorite scene in the entire movie because I love as he's... It is. It's a delightful sequence, the going up the stairs. As he's slowly walking upstairs, and again, not in a hurry. <laughs> he never no. is. Just slowly walking upstairs to confront... He's carrying a 27-inch monitor. He's not going <laughs> to sure. be sprinting. But to confront these mobsters, and every landing he reaches on his way up to the fifth floor, one of his friends runs up because they've now seen a couple extra minutes of this footage to know exactly what to give him, to put the ketchup bottle in his in the front of his hoodie so it'll you know essentially deflect the uh the the stabbing yeah uh, to put the symbol on his back to uh deflect the gun stop a bullet yeah (laughs) yeah i don't (laughs) i can you i don't know if a symbol would stop a bullet but no not not in a million years i'm not i'm not confident of that but i do appreciate that build up that's good dramatic tension build up is like you need you need this thing and then they give him they give him the uh the zebra slug bug or whatever it's called pill bug zebra pill bug yeah. pill bug yeah i i love that the gangsters are tying her to a couch yeah. and then there is a <laughs> shot it goes over to kato and behind where kato is entering there are two office chairs like, yeah so together. they have to put the rope long ways around the couch <laughs> yeah but they felt super incompetent to me. It, and it's a comedy, and so it, like, it totally worked. But I'm just like, guys, there's two chairs right there. Come on. Yeah. This is your first day. It's just the right amount of conflict that isn't serious enough, but could go bad enough to make the movie fun without being too serious or too silly. Uh, mm. I, I just, I really like the introduction of them. Right. Uh, it adds a little tension without being genuinely scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because you never really think that these guys are going to hurt anyone, though I suppose if they're literally packing, they could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about how the first past-future loop is a paradox. Uh, I also wanted to talk about how the, the cast is largely theater-trained, including the, the writer and director, and, and I think that very much shows. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, if they're all going to be fairly young, new actors that are doing a largely single-take project, then having theatric experience is going to be a huge plus. Uh, But also, I just think it's funny, because no matter what your native language is, 
we can tell when you're a theater actor because it's just so emotive. And all of these characters, and I actually think it works really well for the film, and I like it for it, but all of them are so emotive. They're moving their hands, and they're running around, and there's so much body motion. It, it is very much a theater troupe, and it literally is a theater troupe. So that that tracks for me. Well, yeah, plus they're all, you know, nearly all of them have character actor faces. Oh, yeah. You know, there aren't any <sighs> leading man faces in this crowd. They... They they play their characters, and this can be an insult, but it's not when I use it here. They play their characters very broad, yeah. uh, and that, and that totally like works for this because we don't you know we don't have the time to cut to their intimate moments and and them <laughs> talking about you know their history and their future and and all their hopes and dreams. It is just like the time we have with them is the time we have with them. So. I need to have a sense of their personality through whatever it is they're doing in this moment. Uh, and that requires you to be a little bit big in ways, maybe people, especially, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like play like along with like stereotypes here, but like Japanese people typically aren't so expressive, um, but I guess like close friends and all that uh, would probably be much more so uh, in, in situations like this. I think it helps that these people are clearly friends and they are part of the same troop. I know some of them are from, I'm scrolling down to find it. <laughs> some of them are from the Europe Kikaku Theater Company, which is based in Kyoto. And uh, he said, you know, they've always been great at creating science fiction comedy. So at this time, we naturally placed importance on the comedy elements when filming it. So, yeah, I mean, it really helps that they're largely an established troop, I think. How? Oh, yeah. How many works do you have to go through to become specialists in science fiction comedy? That seems so, like a real niche area. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I mean, as somebody who is getting more involved, like, you know, I did comedy when I was in Charlottesville, which is like a small mm -hmm. city, big town. And you just, you know, you just do comedy there, whatever. Here, now that I'm in Denver and I'm getting involved in that scene, like, you you find that niche because that's kind of your selling point of like, okay, why should we book you on this Friday night? Ah, because we specialize in sci-fi comedy. Like we have we have a specific draw. <laughs> right, right, and and actually the whole creation of this movie has shown quite a spotlight on that troupe. Good, so good there's them. tons of articles out there good, all about them, yeah. which is pretty cool. That's awesome. So, love to see that. Additionally, why in the world did she think the era of, oh, yeah, would change in two minutes' time? <laughs> yeah, so, oh, okay, what is her name? Her name is... Aya. Aya. Aya, her first... Now, now, to be fair, it takes them longer than it should to realize it's only two it's minutes, only two especially minutes. because <laughs> in the opening lines of this movie, he literally says, I'm you, two, two minutes. minutes from now. Yeah. So to to be fair to her, when she's like, "Hey, has the era changed?" As if they're like they've moved into the next Renaissance. Well, um, so yeah, I wanted to give some yeah. context for people. Like, era is when there's a new Japanese emperor, uh, right. or a okay, new emperor right, in yeah. Japan, not just Japanese emperor. <laughs> you know, right now ruling the world's a Japanese emperor. No, when there's a new emperor in Japan, they we enter a new era, and hmm. so. It was just so odd to me that she was like, "Hey, has the emperor died and been replaced in the last two minutes?" <laughs> and would that also be your first? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you something. Listen, no, no offense to Mr. Joe Biden. That would not be my first question if I discovered I could talk to my past self. It's like, wait, 
is Joe still there? Who's who's president? <laughs> I know. I'd have some other questions first. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, it takes them takes them a little bit to figure out that it's only two minutes because they keep getting these ideas. Well, let's ask our future selves what's going to happen, and they can tell us, and then we'll just do it. But it isn't until Ozawa shows up. Ozawa and Tanabe show up together, and Ozawa has the glasses and the sweater vest, and he's the smart one. You know, he gets the idea to put the monitors facing each other, mm-hmm. so you get this nested effect, like if when you're in a dressing room that has two mirrors, one on each side, right. and you can see multiple reflections. Mm-hmm. So, the real genius bit, though, that I really liked is that it's limited by the pixels, on the monitor screen, you can only get so small before right. you can't see anything whatsoever on the nested monitor. So you can only go so many layers deep mm-hmm. and still be able to hear or see what's going on. You know, you, right. you know Ozawa's the smart one because he has glasses. He does have glasses. But he also... <laughs> and he likes capsule toys. He also has my favorite bit in the in the whole movie which is when uh when megumi has been taken by the gangsters and taken upstairs and everybody's like we've got to do something about this and ozawa comes back after going to the the vending machine and he's got the zebra pill bug and they're like ah oh, what are we like well, what are we gonna do and he's like hold on just a second and then he leans in to do his hold hey past ha- past ozawa it's future <laughs> ozawa go to the c- capsule machine and get the pill bug it's like okay now that's taken care of so we can do whatever we need to do now i just love that he was like hold on gotta close this loop okay now let's go right uh, i i love that his idea of utilizing you know the benefits of this uh instance is to go capitalize on the pill bug machine whereas everyone else is like we could bet on horse races we could you know like all these other ideas to gain from this thing and and he's gone he just goes mia for like half the movie to go get a a toy uh i I love him he's my favorite character in the movie it does also bring up something that i did think of and this is a slight nitpick that i am willing to overlook but it is that as long as they're standing on the sides of the monitors nobody can hear what they're saying in past (laughs) or future but once you're right in front of it you can be heard but once you're off the side it's good none of that none of that sound's gonna carry it's a directional mic yeah yeah well you know the the time cops at the end i mean they could have explained that uh the the time cops show up (laughs) they're sweaters like it's you know a marvel universe or like it's the movie time cop (laughs) <laughs> or the movie time. <laughs> Never heard of it. And uh, and they show up and want you to, you know, drink white powder off of paper. It's their version of the Men in Black pencil flash. Right. Uh-huh. To forget what just happened. I do love the bit where they're like, yeah, we used to have to, you know, assign you new identities and ruin your lives. But now we have new technology where we can just erase the last couple hours. Yep. Though, did they force feed the friends the white powder? No, they use their little zappy guns on them, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The zappy guns put them to sleep. That's what it yeah. said. But then that doesn't... Right. Again, that doesn't explain, like, what they remember when they wake up. Well, I think they were going to take care of things once um, mm. Kato they, and Megumi were unconscious. They murdered those dudes. They erased them from history because they were like, they have no impact on the future. Oh, the the gangsters upstairs. Yeah, because yeah, the, the older, taller guy was like, oh, yeah, those guys aren't important at all. We can just get rid of them entirely. Yeah, we just we just disappeared them. No one will miss them. Which is great. 
But also, doesn't that mean that, that Kato and, and Megumi have to be remarkably important? Because their remembering of this instance causes these time cops to no longer exist in that new reality? Yeah, Jean-Claude well, Van Damme just disappears. <laughs> yeah, they're literally like arguing with each other about the butterfly effect when they fade out from the current timeline. Right. Yeah. I, I do love the time cops. They're perfectly acted and in their little trench coats I, and matching haircuts. <laughs> yeah, and, and the guns don't even look that ridiculous. Are those trench coats, they look like sweaters. No, they're like they're, they're like short trench coats. Yeah. Yeah. It they they worked. Um, I mean, I think this movie is like the length that it needs to be. I think that oh, yeah. even as it, even as we were hitting that you know hundred minute mark, I was kind of like okay, like the novelty of the idea is wearing mm-hmm. off a little. Or the bit. one yeah. hour mark, you mean? Yeah. Or or yeah, one hour mark. Yeah, it's like the the novelty of it's running running off a little bit. Like all mm-hmm. right, I'm I'm good with us now. Okay, sure. Time cops, great. Closing everything up, perfect, cool. Right. Yeah. No, this needs to be seventy minutes. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I and I think that's why it's as novel as it is. It has one really good idea. It stays just as long as it needs to. It plays with it in a couple fun ways. It has a couple twists that you don't quite expect. You don't expect the gangsters. You don't expect the time cops. But it doesn't linger in any of that too long. Uh, even at the very end, like it doesn't spend a ton of time, you know, with Megumi and Kato starting to kind of kindle this friendship slash romance at the end. Like you just get enough. Like you just know that they're now finally talking and that. Really, she was just cocoed at some point and hated music because of a man. So uh, <laughs> now she doesn't hate music anymore. That's what happens when you date musicians, Brett. That's true. <laughs> you swear off music. Yeah, that oh was like, I want to invite you to my show. I don't like music. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, that's such a blanket statement. <laughs> that, no that's a, that is a rough rejection because like, that has to feel personal. <laughs> like, oh, I don't <laughs> no, like music. Right? Oh, oh, okay. No. Would you like to come see this movie with me? I don't like films. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't like movie. I don't like this entire media area of the world. Oh my gosh. Yeah, poor poor Kato. Uh <laughs> gets gets let down pretty hard. Now, additionally, uh we did put in the docket, you know, what what if primer, but comedy. <laughs> and and yeah, you you can totally see at some point this guy was like, "Oh, primer's pretty cool." Right? Like this is part of that lineage of weird movies. The reason I put that is because primer, there's a whole part of primer, what little I was able to understand of that movie, um where <laughs> they are uh, without graphs where uh, they're like they're trying to have that perfect night where they save the party from like things going bad, right? Or save like the, mm-hmm. the woman or whatever. So that, that just like reminded me when he was like going to save her. It just like, like they're giving him like here's all the things you need to be successful. Just flashbacks to Primer, right? Yeah, right. I, I I could see this being a movie. Um, I mean, the first time I saw Primer was in college, and I haven't seen it since. And it definitely was one of those things where one of your buddies in the film program wants to show you Primer. Um, <laughs> I, right. I could kind of see this living in that same echelon of just like, it, it's cute and it's fun. And I could see this being very novel, the show Friends, especially because it is pretty snappy. You're out of there in 70 minutes. So so I think it'll it'll live in a very interesting part of that, you know, time travel manipulation lineage of movies in its own weird little way. Uh, Nicole, you put that the film seems to argue against living every day as if it were your last. And I'm curious what you mean by that. Well, it's kind of part of the coda of the movie when at the end, Megumi asks Kato, you know, your, your friend said that you hated the future because he was, um, he was objecting to them doing something with their future knowledge at one point in the movie. And they're like, ah, it's okay. Kato hates the future. It's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And, it's 
because he like genuinely believed that the end of the world was coming at one point it was was it a cult Twice. thing it was no it was nostradamus he nostradamus believed, that's right he, the prediction of nostradamus that the mm-hmm. world would end in like 1999 and then it didn't and because he hadn't made any plans because this this future thing was hanging over him he suddenly had to like scramble to get his life together in some mm-hmm. way and then he believed that the mayan calendar ending in 2012 was correct so he sort of let everything go and didn't make plans for his future yeah. and then the world didn't end in 2012 and he was like i hate the future i realized that you know the future was this belief about the future not existing oddly sort of controlled his life and it kept him from preparing. You know, this is why he's, you know, dude's probably like in his mid to late forties and is just owns this little coffee shop and lives above it. And he might have had grander ambitions than that at some point. But oh, that sounds so nice. This is what he's. This is what he's got now because he didn't plan. Yeah. On the opposite end of that token, you know, the, the movie does end with you know him and Megumi shutting off. The TVs, you know, that, you know, it's better to, sometimes it's better just not to know, you know? Yeah. So, so in, in that regard, it's very much, you know, a, an ode to the present and just, you know, not, I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I do hear what you're saying. Uh, and also, I'm just now realizing that Cato might be a complete moron. But, um, <laughs> why would you say I, that he's, you think he's not, smart or he's willingly ignorant or? i mean did that many people put their lives on hold for 2012 i don't know <laughs> no uh, well maybe he's gullible let's put it that way right. or maybe he didn't really have any ambitions and this was the excuse that he had yeah that's kind of more the vibe i got that's what i feel <laughs> yeah to not make plans he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life and just sort of said oh well you know this is coming so. yeah oh well you know the mayan calendar's ending so i won't really you know go to go to college or something you know <sighs> yeah so in, in an interview with the director he said kato the character played by tosa is a person who is negative about the future i think there is a similarity with the current world when you live in a world where the future is unstable there are times where you suddenly give up hope for the future this is exactly what happened to kato the situation he faces at the end of the story this is the scene where he realizes that the present is more important not the past or the future so i think you're i think we're all absolutely right here i think it is very much he was um not especially motivated by the future and his future might have been unstable at certain points and caused him to be the way he was. So, um, I mean, but on on that token, it ends up being a happy ending for Kato then, you know, it seems like he's going to move forward in his life in a more interesting way and he might actually get a girlfriend. Yeah. He gets to talk to the, the barber's daughter. Right. I believe is who she was. Uh, not just, not just the barber herself. She was the barber's daughter. Uh, right. You know, good, good for him. (laughs) <laughs> Good for Kato. Uh, and the one other element of this interview I did want to call out as well is that uh, they asked him about like the one shot stuff. And he said, you know, just as in a normal movie shoot, I had to set up the actors and think about the camera work. But I also had to set up the camera and organize the scene by myself. It was a point of reflection. But due to the low budget, I needed to do it by myself this time to save time and money. My mind was in a panic and I had to make complicated arrangements. However, the help with Yuda, the screenwriter who came to the set and constantly measured the time and above all the cooperation of the entire cast, I managed to complete the project. 
so it's actually funny that that his part of his justification for doing these long single shots was that it was just like I got to do a lot here. It's actually going to be easier if we don't shoot a million takes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. and you can do that with theater actors, right? And it's less of an editing challenge to time it out to be in those exact two minute increments. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was like I said when I was taking notes, I was writing timestamps when certain things happened, and it really does seem to line up. Uh, more, I don't know if it's perfectly, but close enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, I honestly think if there wasn't the one shot gimmick around this, it would just be like, eh, okay, like I think it would be a lot more maybe forgettable. And and, and I'm not saying this movie yeah. is forgettable, but I'm saying like there's something too like we're seeing it all happen in real time for them that that makes this so much more interesting. And if there was like a ton of like edits and in cut betweens in between these conversations, I don't think it would have worked the same. I agree. Well, yeah, it's got the multiple gimmicks going at once. You know, you've got the time jump gimmick, you've got the single take gimmick, and you've got the real time gimmick. Mm -hmm. So this all takes place in over the course of a little over an hour. Yep. And they leaned into that. Because they never do get far future messages. It all takes place within the the time frame of the film itself. Yeah, they get about they get about 25, 30 minutes ahead. Yeah. 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 And they leaned into that in the marketing. You know, this this actually went to a bunch of film festivals. is very, very, very well received. Um, mm-hmm. The version of this movie that was shown at its first film festival was like an hour and a half long. So they extended it by like 20 minutes. And it got a standing ovation. People loved it. But for some reason, on the consumer cut that went out to streaming services, they, they cut it even more, which I think, as we've talked about, probably the right move. But the tagline was a one-take time travel sci-fi comedy. So, and then that's fun enough where that would pique my interest if I was trying to pick where to what to see at a festival. Yeah. So you know, as we as we wrap down, oh yeah, go ahead, Nicole. I, d- I have kind of a nitpicky question that was bugging me throughout the movie. Why does Cato never just smash one of the monitors? Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank because you. He's so worried about it, and they get they start getting really concerned about paradoxes being trapped about it why not just kick one of those monitors off the table yeah because he's also kind of indifferent i mean this is a guy who's going up to face armed gangsters and it's like oh fine and just kind of begrudgingly walks upstairs i don't see this man kicking anything i don't know i mean he doesn't they don't know that he's gonna come back safely from going to try to rescue megumi and he just accepts things as they go you know they hand him a ketchup right. bottle and say put this in your pocket and he's like what okay uh, okay, okay. <laughs> and yeah. then they're like here stick this symbol up the back of your sweatshirt it's like all right here take and, this and pill he bug peer pressured into a lot <laughs> like bear in mind like these are all his friends they're all having fun as mm. soon as he goes and gets rejected by the girl his his instinct is to go back and be like nope we're done <sighs> but they he gets peer pressured into faking that she is coming in order to maintain the continuity of what they've seen from the future. So I, I think, I think that's a huge part of it. He just, he's not going to rock the boat with all of his friends. Yeah. yeah. He's the one member of the friend group. That's so non-confrontational that you can push them to, you have to be careful not to manipulate them. Like, Hey, can you, why don't, can you go run in? I'll keep the car running. You run in and yeah. get the thing. <laughs> but he also owns the cafe where they probably hang out. So, that's true. That's true. There's enough space for everybody. They can probably stay after closing and, you know, chat until midnight or whatever. Yeah. So. 
One other piece I do want to mention before we close is that I've seen this making the rounds the last couple months on Twitter, and that's when I've seen it, even though it did come out in 2020. And, and this is a broader conversation we could talk about at length, and we don't have to have it today. But there seems to be an increasing appreciation in the West for, um, you know, for Japanese and, uh, and, and East Asian media, like live action media, like people seem to finally be getting over the hurdle of subtitles and stuff in our culture because, and maybe that's a squid game thing. Maybe that's like, that was the turning point where it was like, wow, this is so good. Even people who hate subtitles are going to watch it and we're going to have, you know, themed parties about it, which is messed up if you've seen squid game. <laughs> but like point being is, is I think outside of our types of circles, like everyone I know saw squid game and that would not be the case with most things that required subtitles. I think and this is really making rounds two years after its release amongst people who speak English. So I, I don't know if there's any trend like that. I, you know, I mean, Parasite won Best Picture a couple of years ago. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm seeing something there where that people are starting to overcome that hurdle. I, I don't think it's just, I think Squid Game has helped some people be like, oh, okay, like what other, like, you know, what else has Korea got going on? But I think, I think streaming kind of in general, yeah. making it just so much more accessible. Mm-hmm. I was about to say Netflix. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, and, I mean, K-dramas have their own, yep. you know, their own cult, essentially. Sure. Uh, it's okay, my girlfriend's in it, I can, you know, I can say it. <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think, like, it largely is just, like, it's so much more accessible now uh, than it ever was before. Yeah, I, I agree, but I, I just, I, I, I've, I've had so many conversations with people over the years of like, oh yeah, I just don't want to watch subtitles. Like I've heard that from so many people, and Your and, and we can lame, kind of scoff Brett. at it. <laughs> well, we can scoff at it. As- no offense, Brett friends, Brett's friends. <laughs> Please don't stop listening because I said that. But as as movie podcasters, we can sit here and say like, "Oh yeah, what's wrong with subtitles?" But that is like an that is a hurdle for a lot of like average moviegoers. It is. It's just and, not and one I, that I understand. I mean, they're, they're well before I was a movie. I know, but just because we don't understand doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well before I was a movie podcaster, I was watching movies with subtitles yeah but you spent your entire life going to indie cinemas watching movies like this <laughs> so we are not the people i'm talking about so i guess i just i don't like to assume i don't i don't like to assume that people are anti-intellectual as a whole that they reject stuff out of hand because it seems too artsy or something that only the the quote-unquote coastal elites would do kind of thing you know right and that's not the point i'm making i like to think that maybe everybody has the opportunity to do this there are i'm sure there are plenty of people all across the country and around the world who watch all kinds of media and try to expand their own horizons no no i i agree i and that's not the, really the point i'm making that this is a you know a coastal elite, uh, you know, <laughs> we're willing to watch subtitles. We're the film snobs. Um, more of just the fact that I don't think 20 years ago, my parents were walking into work who have never watched an international film, really, because they'd never been exposed to it. And their coworkers are talking about squid games, you know, like th- there is a sea change in that regard. And maybe it is because of streaming and because it is more readily available. But I, I or, or even, you know, I, I mentioned Parasite, like, I don't think 20, 30 years ago, a, a, a non-native or a non-English film would have necessarily won Best Picture. 
So I, I, I think there's something there. I just don't know yeah. exactly what it is. No, it's definitely so. been a wave. You know, K-pop, too, has helped spark oh, a lot of interest in Korean culture as a whole. That is a really good point. BTS is, and I'm, I'm naming BTS even though I know there's many. Uh, Japanese horror movies, J-horror, yes, Rise just, of That's been increasing interest. It's not so. just BTS yep. once stands represent. <laughs> I, I worked at a live ticketing company during height BTS. I am I'm well familiar with the kind of kind of dough they can rank in in the in the, uh, in the West. Yeah, so yeah. I saw my first cool. K drama like about ten years ago. So which yeah. my my current partner introduced me to. Thank you, Brian. I never would have <laughs> known the the joy that is Dream High without you. Well, uh, any any final thoughts on Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes? Go David, for it. you want to go first? <laughs> uh, it's it's fun. It's a fun, it's a fun movie. I mean, you know, it it's obviously like we, you know, we, as soon as we started talking about, it, we're like, but what about this? Uh, but while you're watching it, you know, it's the ride. You're along for the ride and you're having a fun time with it. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy sci-fi comedy, go for it. Definitely. Uh, Nicole, anything? Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. I was looking up time loop movies earlier today to try to because there was something about it was scratching around in my head about you know have i seen this concept before and it really hasn't existed in this form before time loop movies it's people living the same day over and over again or they're living the same hour over Mm -hmm. and over again they're not getting messages from shortly in the future and fulfilling that and being able to communicate real time with their future selves while everybody still got their forward momentum going. There's no time travel like into the past. It's just talking to people two minutes ago kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a really neat little twist on the concept and it's very clever and it helps keep it within the budget that you can only see so many minutes into the future. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's I'm glad they got a theater troupe to do this. That it's not just like the director's buddies because I think this would have suffered a lot with from inexperienced actors. Oh yeah, um, you really get to even though you don't get much time to know the characters, you really get to like them and all their different little quirks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just think this movie's a whole lot of fun. I, mean, I the fact that we talked about it for 51 minutes is indicative that this is a, a fun and, and compelling film, despite only being 70 minutes long. So, uh, and I do want to call well out... Well worth the $3 rental that I spent oh, on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I do want to call out that the, the writer has written two other sci-fi comedies, which I'm, I'm kind of interested to see now. One is yeah. called The Summertime Machine Blues, a sci-fi club concocts a plan to repair a remote by using a time machine that suddenly appears. And then the other one um, is... Magare Supin, which is a staff for a paranormal TV show, is scouting for ESP candidates, but only meets fakes. Uh, they encounter real ESP people who are trying to keep their powers secret. Uh, both those actually sound really cool. So yeah. we might have to check those out. I don't know. The first one sounds kind of like hot tub time machine. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. All right. Well, reminder, folks, next week is can we just talk about and we are going to be watching Pleasantville. So be sure to watch that if you'd like to go ahead and follow along. But let's go around the horn very quickly. Nicole, where can people find you online? I have a letterboxed account at Nicole underscore Davis, where I have top 10 lists from various years, plus the master list of all the movies we have watched on Movie Go Round. Right on. And David? 
Matt Davlas, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Been real busy lately, but still got stuff going on. Check it out. All right. Very good, David. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. And be sure to head on over to MGRpodcast.com if you'd like to go ahead and find all the episodes. And of course, you did this to us.com when it's time to go ahead and vote for those. You can find all these links and more at social.mgrpodcast.com. That'll do it for the three of us. We'll see you next week with Pleasantville. Pleasantville.